Well, Happy New Year again. Good seeing you guys, and I see a lot of faces that uh, were perhaps missing the past few weeks because of traveling. Welcome back. I hope you, are, uh, hope you had a great time with your families and uh, friends out of town and in town as well. Um, I don't know if there's any new people today. If you're new, uh, welcome as well. My name is Aiden. I'm the pastor of this church. I hope you are having a great time so far worshiping with us. Thanks for joining us today. Um, we are going to continue on in uh, this small series in Book of Psalms. Uh, today, we will look at Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And before we go any further, I just want to share just a few things uh, that me and Deb experienced uh, recently, just to kind of give you a context for uh, this text and this message. So if you go to the next slide. Okay, let me read the passage first. Uh, I'm going to mix that up a little bit, but let me read the passage first, and then I'll share what I'll share. So there's some suspense there, so just wait for that. All right, let me read for us the passage for today, Psalm 32. A uh, masculine of David. A masculine is just a uh, just technical term for psalms, so um, uh, you know nothing too significant for our understanding. Uh, just for your information, uh, here's the word of God. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Many are sorrows, of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. That is the word of the Lord. So recently, uh, if you go to the next slide, uh, 
Deb and I watched an interview uh, of the renowned musician, John Mayer. I don't know how many of you are uh, fans of John Mayer, um, let alone whether you know him. Uh, he's a very talented musician, right? And um, I really admire you know, his, his guitar skill and uh, his songs and everything. And the interview was pretty surprising in many ways because uh, I always saw him as you know, this really cool guy and you know, very talented and also being known for having many famous girlfriends, if you know what I mean. Uh, but during the interview, he was very candid and he was very honest about his insecurities and everything. I was pretty surprised and I really appreciated uh, his honesty. But one thing that stood out to me from the interview was this. Uh, he said that he has lots of grace for other people. Grace. I was like, oh, that's uh, more of a Christian term, and he's not a believer as far as I know. Uh, what he meant was that uh, because he himself experienced many failures, moral failures, when he was younger, and he saw how broken he is in his morality, um, now, when he looks at other people and their imperfections, you know, he has more sympathy for them as opposed to being judgmental. And then he added this. He said that there are some vicious people. And what he meant by that is that there are people in the world uh, who never get to the point of experiencing and acknowledging you know, their own imperfections so that they just jump to conclusions and judgment whenever they see other people and uh, they expect perfection out of other people. And that was really intriguing what he said in the interview uh, because there was some good amount of truth in it. And here's what I mean. Uh, when he said that um, you know, there are many people who are vicious, that made me think that it's part of the reason why we see a lot of meanness in the world right now, you know, especially on social media, uh, because you know, people are expecting perfection from one another without seeing their own imperfections and brokenness in their own hearts. So I, I really appreciated that insight that led me to think about how the you know, world is you know, doing uh, in this regard. That was good, but at the same time, I want to share with you that I saw a limit to John Mayer's thinking uh, because what he said was basically that he is his own atonement for his own shortcomings. What I mean is, if you know like, his past, like, to be really honest, he did and he said a lot of uh, bad things um, that uh, hurt and disrespect many people, if you know what I mean. Uh, and, and when he said, you know, he acknowledged his own shortcomings, what he means by that is he, you know, he forgave himself, you know, without any objective accountability. He forgave himself and he is showing grace to other people. So it's a good thing to, to some extent, but it's not enough. It's, it's, it's his own forgiveness. And I would call that, to be really honest, that's cheap grace. 
Because what will happen is that there will be people that he will you know, show grace to because they meet his standards. But there will be also people that he would not tolerate because, again, his atonement was his own standard. But from there on, uh, I, I, that made me daydream. Again, just thinking about just weighing like, the, the pros and cons of what John Mayer said. And my daydream was this. You know, man, you know, in that line of thinking, if everyone in the world truly saw how broken they are and got to the point of showing grace to one another, the world may be a, a better place. Right? But unfortunately, of course, that's not the case, and it's a pipe dream I know. But I think that really shows that there's power and value in you know, people getting to see their own brokenness, and that makes them want to show grace to other people. And, and for those who haven't got there, those are, the, those are the people who cannot show grace to other people because they think they're perfect too. So in today's passage, uh, we're going to learn about repentance, which in my mind is the right way, the complete way you can gain atonement and see true brokenness comparing, comparing yourself to the objective accountability, the God who is the objective sinless judge. And when, when we gain you know, his forgiveness, not our own, that matters for the whole world. And my hope and prayer is that we will become, as we repent, as we learn to repent, uh, we'll become gracious people, perhaps as John Mayer may have envisioned about others. So with that in mind, let's go into today's passage. Uh, There are three points, and in my mind, this is a very simple sermon, because uh, all I'm going to argue from this passage is that we have to repent. (laughs) And the three points are the three benefits of repentance that uh, the author David gives. And those benefits are joy and security and growth through repentance. So let's look at them. And and hopefully as we see them, we'll be um, encouraged to repent more and, and getting to see what true repentance is. So first... Joy through repentance. Verses 1 and 2. They say, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Uh, Being blessed, first of all, in the Bible uh, means to be satisfied and joyful in the core of our being. Not just, you know, external, shallow joy, but this is a deep joy in in the core of your being. And the psalmist, David, says that the truly blissful people are those who receive God's forgiveness. And the three sentences, uh, the first three sentences in in the two verses that we just read, those are basically synonyms, the parallel lines there, uh, you know, telling us that these are people whose sins are forgiven. The word forgiven there literally means in Hebrew, 
are being lifted up, that the, the, the sins are removed from the side of God. And it also says that these people, uh, their sins are covered. You know, God covers these people uh, with the righteousness of Christ so that he does not remember uh, their sins anymore. And rather, he counts um, Christ's righteousness. Meaning, in God's sight, these people are sinless and perfect. So they have the complete approval and acceptance from God. And and last line there in verse 2, and these people experience the happiness of this forgiveness because uh, they have no deceit, meaning that this is true repentance. It is not a show. They're not putting up a show out there, but they're feeling sorry for their sins from their hearts. So that's why they experience the bliss of forgiveness. And now, uh, in the next few verses, David will proceed to explain this happiness uh, by describing for us how unhappy uh, and even, in fact, miserable he personally felt when he did not repent. So let's look, verses 3 and 4. They say, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So here David is experiencing uh, physical and mental anguish. The the words bones uh, without flesh, uh, you can imagine the the picture there. It, It simply symbolizes in the Bible, uh, you know, lifelessness and meaninglessness. So David is basically feeling hopeless. You know, basically he's feeling depressed and he's groaning, mental anguish, and he's also uh, feeling like a waterless plant in the desert, uh, picturing how, you know, worn out he is physically. So he's, he's suffering here. But get this. David is attributing uh, his condition to God. It was God's hand, he says, that was heavy upon him, that caused him to feel terrible. What that means is God, in his grace, pursued after David, who was sinning, and he allowed difficulties in David's life so that David would wake up and turn to God in repentance. Here, it's important to note uh, that not every suffering in our lives are because of our sins. That's very, that's very important. You know, many times we suffer just because we live in a broken world. But there are times when we suffer in certain ways because we are rebelling against God. And God loves us so much that he does not let us go, but he disciplines us in hope that we would come back to him. And that's what's happening to David right now. And the good news for David was that he did respond well to God's pursuit of grace. Verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover, cover up my iniquity. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You know, in acknowledgement, here basically David is showing, showcasing uh, what the true repentance looks like. Because, you know, when he says he acknowledges sin, he's basically taking the full responsibility, right, of his own sins uh, with no excuse. He's not, you know, blaming anybody else or anything else. He is taking full responsibility. And he's also not holding any sins back as if he can, you know, atone for himself, for those sins. No, he's casting all his sins onto God because only God can cleanse him. And when David did that in his true repentance, God forgave all his sins. That's what it says. So summing up all, all of that so far, David is telling us loud and clear that God's people can experience great joy in their souls when they genuinely confess their sins to God and turn from their sins and receive God's forgiveness. That makes us joyful when we confess and repent. And at this point, I want to linger a little more with you and please bear with me. I do want to address this question of, you know, why should Christians continue to uh, confess their sins and receive forgiveness? Because if you have been following, you know, in our sermon series, uh, Christians are justified, meaning when they put their faith in Christ, you know, for the first time and, you know, in the beginning, once and for all, you know, they are now covered in Christ's righteousness, and therefore they're sinless in God's sight. So why should they keep repenting? Is that contradictory? A simple answer is this, is that Christian life is all about relationship with God. Uh, meaning that you know, when, when Christians you know, put their faith in Christ, Objectively, they're justified and forgiven by God. But subjectively, there is strain in their relationship with God. Uh, so that, again, judicially, we're justified. But personally, you know, Christians will have less intimacy with God. You know, they would have less security and assurance about their salvation and less sense of peace in their hearts. That's what happens. But when they confess their sins periodically and acknowledge their wrongs, uh, that heals the relationship. And, and we all know, I, I would assume, like what we're talking about here, because this applies to all the important relationships that we have in our lives, you know, especially perhaps marriages and you know, our relationship with our parents, right? Like marriage, you know, for example, uh, you know, personally between me and dad, me and my wife, you know, whenever there's anything that is not resolved, there's awkwardness. You know, we're living in the same house, we see each other, but there's awkwardness because we never addressed it. But we, once we sit down and talk about it and we confess our sins to one another, 
then we gain the, the closeness uh, back, the closeness that is unique to marriages. And for those of us who are not married, you, know, you also know this you know, from your relationship with your parents. You know, whenever there's any rift between you and your parents, you know it. They know it. You both feel it. Until you acknowledge it and you talk about it with your parents, whether verbally or if you're a different culture, maybe just, I don't know, by, by, by looks. You don't say sorry, but you know. <laughs> you know, you both are sorry. Until then, there is that awkwardness. And in many cases, you know, these unresolved issues in these relationships are painful because these are relationships that are meant to be whole and intimate. And that is just like that with our relationship with God. Uh, you know, except in this case, the sinning party is only us because God is God and his, you know, sinless. Unless, you know, we humble ourselves and acknowledge our wrongs and, um, you know, confess our sins and receive his forgiveness, you know, we lose that intimacy and joy of that relationship. Instead, we will feel empty, purposeless, and miserable because we were created for intimacy with God. So let me ask, before we go any further, based on what we just studied in this psalm, uh, what is your life like right now, at the moment? Maybe for those of us who are not believers, we welcome you here. And I hope that the word is speaking to you, and I hope that uh, you get to a point of repentance and experiencing this you know, blessing of forgiveness. And for those of us who are believers, uh, how does this word of God, you know, talking at your heart right now? Like, what is God speaking to you? Like, is there anything, do you sense any pursuit of God in your life? Is there any disruption in your life right now? Uh, that could be perhaps God's telling you, wake up. There's something wrong here in our relationship. I want your attention here. Do you feel that talk of grace? And maybe for, maybe for those of us who uh, have lost joy in your spiritual life, you know, we could be pointing at other different factors for sure, and those are valid, I'm sure, but it's likely that there is a sin that has not been addressed and that is blocking the channel of joy in your relationship with God. So there is joy in repentance because we are going to be brought back to the one who we were made to have intimacy with. So may you respond to God in repentance for joy. Second, second benefit of repentance, security through repentance. Verses 6 and 7, they say, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. 
Here, David is saying that when you confess your sins and receive forgiveness, forgiveness from God, you can experience safety, security from God. And here's what it means. If you look at the verses here, he's saying that as a result of prayer offered in repentance, uh, you know, now the rush of great waters will not reach the godly. The, the rush of great waters. Uh, if you go to the next slide, um, here's a picture of uh, Wadi, which is basically like a ravine, like a steep valley like that uh, in the Middle East. Um, basically, these are found in you know, very dry regions, uh, in, like in the Middle East. But there are some uh, rainy seasons where there's like a flash flood, uh, so that there's like rush of a flesh flood of water just, you know, gushing into these valleys. And you can imagine it's very dangerous, and a lot of people die every year uh, if, you're, if you find yourself in, you know, these steep valleys uh, for whatever reason. And that's the picture here. That's, that's what you see in, this, in these verses. Uh, that's the context. But then in this picture, David now inserts for us uh, this phrase, hiding place, hiding place. The Hebrew word for that connotes a castle. Just imagine with me in your head. A castle with thick, strong walls. So in this context, uh, hiding place in, in these ravines is a shelter of sorts uh, made of you know, strong, solid rocks, and these are also located strategically so that people can run to them and find shelter. And these dangerous flash waters cannot touch them, but they are protected. What David is saying is this. Of course, there's a metaphorical language here. But in real life, life can be like flash flood. Uh, it can overwhelm us and even threaten our lives. Maybe you can think of examples in your own lives, what that means. Like, what's flesh flood for me? But there are those troubles and sufferings in your lives. And people try to deal with them with their own abilities, right? They try to uh, resolve these troubles with their own uh, wisdom and technologies, but it goes only so far. You know, they find themselves living in fear and anxieties all the time, all their lives. In contrast, there are those who do not deal with the troubles like that. There are those who confess their sins and receive forgiveness from God so that they now have God as their hiding place under whom they stay safe from the storms of life. God protects them from all harms of life, either in this life or in the next, meaning both in life and death, they have absolute security. God protects his own. And in the course of Christian life, you know, whenever they repent, whenever they experience God's forgiveness, you know, they now have this assurance of, you know, safety in God 
uh, restored. That's what repentance does. Whenever uh, they are brought back to God, they remember, oh my gosh, I have security in my life. Why do I fear anything? I believe that's what Paul is saying here in Philippians 1, 20 and 21. It says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now and as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. There's assurance that because Christ is my life, whether I die or stay alive, I'll be okay. I'll be safe no matter what. So David is encouraging us to repent because then they can experience this great sense of security in God which can lead to utter confidence in life, just facing any struggles with fearlessness. That's the benefit of repentance that we see here. I shared this uh, before, I believe, um, but uh, there's a personal experience that I uh, went through about 10 years ago um, when I was in Chicago. Uh, there was a conference where uh, one of my favorite preachers named Francis Chan came in town, and I, I watched the, the sermon on video uh, when my wife uh, sent it to me. And... Uh, man, it was a powerful moment. Like, I just kept listening and watching, and next thing you know, I was bawling in, in my room, and I was literally pounding my chest because I felt so, so sorry uh, to God for my lukewarm faith uh, at the time. And that was just a great moment uh, when I really experienced true uh, restoration because of repentance. And after that moment, uh, one thing that kind of defined my uh, life during those you know, years after that moment uh, was my zeal for evangelism. Uh, for example, my buddies and I would just randomly go to a shopping mall in, in town and you know, we would just talk to random people at the food court to talk, to talk about Jesus. We would do that. And another time, uh, there would be this salesperson knocking on my door. Uh, but for some reason, I usually get a little annoyed when that happens, but for some reason on that day, I felt so uh, sympathetic towards that person. So I uh, invited him over into my house, and I, I told him that I would sign up for the magazine uh, that I would never read. Um, and I just sat him down, and we just started talking about life and you know, I shared the gospel with him, and he ended up sharing with me a lot of um, his past and his upbringing and so forth. Those were what my life was like after the repentance. And today you might say, that sounds great, but you're a pastor, so that, that's, that's what you do, right? Well, first of all, as far as I know uh, from the Bible, evangelism is a calling for every Christian not just for the pastors. And also, some of you know that I'm a proud 100% introvert. 100%. Always got amazed whenever I see the score. I love being alone. 
I really wouldn't mind not seeing anybody for, for the rest of my life. <laughs> Be really honest with you. Uh, I mean, of course, my family, you know, I, I, I love them, you know, they're, they're part of me, but I don't mind just being alone, really. And I do have a lot of fears, to be really honest with you, uh, about talking to people and especially strangers and, and you know, feeling rejected and looked down upon uh, in, in light of uh, gospel sharing. But at that time, when I look back, what happened was, though this was not comfortable for me, but when I repented and when I received God's forgiveness for my lukewarm faith, I felt invincible. I felt, I knew in my heart of heart that I was forgiven, that God was for me, not against me, and there's nothing I should fear because if God is for me, who should I be fearing or dreading? He's got my life. I'll do whatever it takes to please God. That was my heart at the time because there was true security in my life in light of repentance and restoration in the relationship. So could I ask you, what are your fears in your life? Is that career? Is that financial stability? You know, romantic prospect? Um, or being disliked by people? What is it? What are your fears? My urge to you is that you be restored to God through repentance. That you experience God's love for you. That you realize that's all you need in your life. Then you'll be fearless because you are in God who is your hiding place. No rush of water can touch you. There's security that comes from repentance. Lastly, growth through repentance. Verse 8, David says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye on you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. I believe this is what God is saying to, uh, you know, people, his people, and David is quoting God here. What that means is, you know, God is saying that he, you know, will lovingly guide his people and help them grow. Meaning God is a faithful God and he's, in fact, a good parent. So he will not leave his people, um, you know, on care for and leave them in their sins but God would pursue again after them and he would even discipline them so that they will turn out to be good children good parent and that's what we see in verse 9 you know he is instructing his people not to be stubborn in their sins because I think it's really insightful he's telling them not to be like animals because that's what happens when we are sinning. You know, when we are sinning, we are acting like animals. We are going by our instincts rather than controlling ourselves you know, with morality and you know, God-given strength. And the, the clearest example of that is addiction, right? Any addicts will live like animals. I was reading about one person who would like, make thousands of phone calls searching for substance 
one night. And God, in his love and grace, rebukes such people and tells them to get out and grow out of the sins. So what that means is God grows his people and conforms you know, their character uh, away from sins and conforms their character to Christ. And he does that through repentance. In other words, we cannot experience true spiritual growth in our lives without repentance. There has to be repentance. And that makes sense because the word repentance is not just saying sorry, just to clarify here. In Greek, the word repentance, metanoia, it really means change of mindset, therefore change of lifestyle. You know, to be sure, you know, true repentance does include you know, grieving, feeling sorry in your heart for your sins, but then you have to act on it. Now you consciously live your life away from those sins and try to live to please God. That's true repentance. It's not just a mental exercise. This is life choice. So when that is your habit in your life, of course you will change because you're, you're, you're constantly striving to live differently based on your conviction comes, that comes from God. And by God's strength, who, you know, urges you and strengthens you to choose different things for him, you know, you will grow. That's how growth happens. Uh, just to illustrate that, I mean, I don't know about you, uh, but I trust my doctor. I have a family doctor, and I listen to her, you know, if she tells me that I have a problem in any part of my body. And I think it would be ridiculous if um, you know, she shows me like a lab result and x-ray that there's something going on. And I say, thank you, but I'm going to just deny that and just keep li- living my life. That's ridiculous, right? Because you see the problem, but you're just ignoring that. What you have to do is you follow what the, the doctor says and, and do something different. Like your lifestyle should be different in order to become healthy. God is a cosmic doctor, right? Who has the complete diagnosis of our lives. And he communicates his diagnosis through his word, like right now. And we will get better in our spiritual life and truly grow only if we do not ignore his lab result, his x-ray will we obey God's word and truly repent and live different life in order to see true growth in our spiritual lives. Repentance is a key ingredient in our spiritual growth. Without that, we cannot grow. It's essential. So in closing, I hope uh, all these things eased our hearts and even encouraging us to repent as we look into our hearts. And I want to end with the the interview with uh, John Mayer that I mentioned earlier. 
what we see, and I agree with him again, that there is a power in acknowledging your own sins because it will change us to show grace to other people. But only when we can go through the true repentance that we just studied, meaning only when we experience genuine joy from repentance, only when we experience true security and safety and confidence in God, and only when we have real spiritual growth that comes from repentance, then we can be truly the grace agents in in this world because we experienced true transformation that comes from repentance. Seeing that my goodness, in front of the true accountability that I have in my life, I'm a sinner. If I laugh or look down on other people and judge other people based on what I see, I'm a fool. Because before God, I'm so dirty. But only by God's grace, I'm whole. And I experience that. So when I see other people, instead of jumping to judgment, although we call out what's true in, in love, that's what it says in Ephesians 4, but we do that in grace, loving them, because we know we're not better than any of them. We are only sinners saved by grace. So may we grow in repentance this year as we go into this year as a church. May we grow. May we grow in coming to God, confessing our sins, and experiencing the joy and blessing of repentance and become graceful people in your life. Let's pray. I just want to, at this moment, before we go any further, just want to drive home uh, the purpose of repentance uh, that we just saw uh, in this passage, meaning that this is God's way of loving you. He's loving us so much that He will not leave us alone in our sins. He wants more of us in our relationship with Him. And how agonizing must be for him to see that we are just eating mud, uh, thinking that that's the true pleasure in our lives. We're missing out on the true joy and intimacy that comes from God. So he's loving us. He's pursuing us in his grace. Is there any signs, any glimpse of that in your life right now? May we, uh, before, you know, we respond in a song or pray any, any further, may we be assured of his love for us right now because the fact that we are hearing God's word in this passage, that is an evidence of his great love for you. May you get that. May you enjoy that before we get any further. Let's pray. As we just laid out uh, our sins before God, uh, what we want to do 
as we close our time right now is uh, be assured of his forgiveness to me the best place to go to uh, to see um, you know God's heart for us when we come to come to him in repentance is the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15 when the son after messing up after having so many sins in, in his heart in his life in desperation he comes back crawling uh, and God the father saw him from afar meaning that he has been looking out and waiting for the son and when we when he sees the son he runs uh, which is shameful because they didn't have um, you know proper athletic pants back then uh, it was all um, you know basically skirt you know type of uh, garment and he had to gird up his loins and he had to run uh, and he did he ran he ran to his son kissing him over and over embracing him and he um, you know covered him with the garment of royal robe treating him like a prince and that is God's heart towards us as we repent, um, giving us grace that we don't deserve, restoring us to the place of uh, son and daughter uh, status. So now, um, let's pray just for uh, just a few more moments, uh, asking God to uh, restore our hearts. As we grieve before him, may our hearts also experience assurance of his forgiveness that is in Christ, so that from that conviction, we may go out of this place and actually live differently. Can we do that just for just a few moments, um, just uh, asking God to help us enjoy this blessing of repentance. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we come before you and uh, with the humility that you have given us through your spirit, we acknowledge that we are dust and ashes, uh, do not deserve any goodwill from you. We have uh, chosen things uh, that are contrary to what you say in your law. We have loved and cherished things and people uh, much more than we love you. God, we have broken your hearts over and over and over, running away from you, having thoughts and actions that are uh, gross in nature. But thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ, your perfect Son, died in our place. Enduring our shame, shedding the precious blood for us, getting the punishment that we deserve. And because of his blood, because of his death, we can live and be restored. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us for your never giving up, tenacious, steadfast love towards us. 
only by your grace we are object of your love and attention and pursuit. God, our hearts are prone to wander. So please grab hold of our hearts by your grace. So that we will, um, by your strength, choose to please you in our lives and seek your holiness when every part of our body and minds and thoughts may seek what may please us at the moment. Whenever we fail, may we not listen to Satan that brings us into further despair, but help us to turn to you in repentance and find your embracing love and kiss so we can keep growing despite our failures because you are God who redeems us. So help us, God. Help us to be uh, people who uh, are humble and cherishing you in our lifestyles, in our choices. And in fact, may that be the character of our church as a corporate body, um, seeking um, your grace humbly so that we can show grace to one another and encourage one another to grow in grace. because we are all sinners, only saved by your grace alone. Help us, God. We need you. We cannot do it by ourselves. So we ask for your guidance and help.